Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome once again to Profitable Farmer. Um, thank you for dialing in from wherever you are. Grab a cup of tea or a water um, or just concentrate harder on the tractor that you're sitting on right now. It's been wonderful to see so much rainfall um, on much of the country and, and hopefully that is a sign of things to come for a fresh start and a different look at a new season. So um, to all of you, I hope you're enjoying um, a shift in the season and let's see where it arrives us to. On the back of a recent podcast with Tony Cat talking succession, um, Tony and I spoke again and we thought it's such an important topic and we've had so much significant feedback that we wanted to do a second follow-up um, just to dig a little deeper on this topic of farm succession and how to navigate this conversation further as you know a passionate and dedicated farming family. So, Tony, once again, welcome. Thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me again. Tony, before we launch into all things succession, um, can we touch on, and with your financial planning hat on perhaps, mm. the coronavirus the impacts in the global economy um, and what you're seeing both from an um, economic sense but also, you know, how, how, how do you see all of that potentially impacting us as, as farming businesses? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I guess the best way that we've, we've tried to describe it is it's both a supply and a demand issue. Um, on the demand side, um, you know, you're seeing issues for travel, uh, you're seeing issues for tourism, um, you'll see um, demand side factors affect different businesses in different ways and, and that that is very real and happening and I think even today I noticed that uh, Qantas had shut down its A380s um, in terms of its, its it's scaled back its international travel by uh, 25% in terms of its flights. So those things are real issues um, and and having an effect. From a, um, from a supply side issue, um, that's probably where I see some of my farming clients have um, more of an issue with this is that making sure that you get through your or get your supply in order is probably the best way to describe that in that you don't want to be sitting there at time critical moments in a in a harvest or in a seeding time and you know that those time critical t- parts of the the year without the appropriate access to fur chemicals um, other supplies that you might need to get the job done that you need done and because if you miss those moments as many good farmers will know then um, they don't come back mm-hmm. so I think it's really critical that all of the, my farming client all the farming clients look at their supply chains look at what it would take to get through the next six months um, and make sure they're prepared for um, for all for all and sundry and 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 control the controllables you know don't don't go and wait for your supplier to, you know, blow something up so you can't get it. So don't necessarily um, take things for granted is probably the, the advice there. Um, broadly speaking, the, the effects on the economy, um, it's now been quoted that the, the coronavirus is expanding at a, at, a, at a faster rate than outside China than inside China. So now we're seeing the same growth rate of the coronavirus outside. Um, there has been forecasts that the, the peak, this could take until another five to six months to peak in Australia. Um, and that'll be interesting to see how that washes its way through. But there's been vaccines looked at. There's all the precautions in the world being looked at. Um, and we've just got to be prepared to ride through that storm. One thing I will see, and you're already seeing it, Jeremy, is that you're going to see the governments around the globe throw an enormous amount of fuel at this problem. What I mean by that is you're already seeing dropping interest rates, um, both here and in the, in the US and around the globe. We think there's probably at least another, probably one, maybe two rate cuts in Australia to come, which means that we may unbelievably be at point or zero, sorry, zero interest rates, official rates by the end of the year. Um, I think it will that will then leave only three... Um, economies in the world with positive interest rates. Believe it or not, the rest of the world is in negative interest rates. Um, so what that will mean for clients with debt, great. You know, ring your bank, make sure they're passing it through, make sure that you're getting the deals that you want. So, um, but that, that being said is that the flip side of that is that there's going to be, be very, very careful about your access to money. And what I mean by that is the banks potentially have the will get a bit tight with their lending, 
um, due to bad debts, just due to nervousness. I mean, and that's this is all on top of um, the, the Royal Commission outcomes. Yeah. Is that just be very, very careful and be very well prepared and planned for future um, credit to, um, that, that some of your clients might want to get a- access to, um, whether it be overdrafts or for, for land purchases. Um, yeah, that that's going to be. It's a, I call it. It's a supply of money game, not a cost of money game. Um, so make sure you're prepared. Thanks, Tony. I mean, that's a really significant insight on both of those issues. What about oil prices quickly before we move? Yeah, on? oil collapsing. Everyone would be really pleased to see that at the Bowser. I think it dropped below one dollar a liter this morning. Um, it's uh, your oil prices. So this is a Saudi Arabia Russia problem. So this is a supply side driven issue um, that both don't want to give in. Um, look, it's hard to know where it goes, but in the short term, um, I would say stock up. <laughs> At cheaper prices, you know, if you can store fuel at these sort of low prices, if you get access to it, um, it may stay down for a little while, but it's halved. It's gone from $64 US a barrel to $32. Uh, great, great, um, uh, great opportunity to be um, probably locking some of it in and potentially also, um, you know, it's a, it's, I know it's a major input for many farming clients, so it's a, it's a great flow on in terms of a cost saving at these times, so. Some really good insights there. So just to summarise, be really proactive as you launch into your planning, um, specifically around your inputs, um, to make sure that you're not going to be left short. Um, make sure that you um, seek to, to make the most of these continued and more improved low interest rates. Um, and, yeah, oil prices are what they are. It's, it's sort of unprecedented times, isn't it? This is really interesting it must. I mean, you must find this very interesting from an economic standpoint. <laughs> I don't think I've got too many more crises left in me. Like uh, uh, the GFC took its toll. Um, unfortunately, I have most of my hair left still. So we'll yep. see where this one goes. But yeah, it is interesting times. Mm. So Tony, coming back to the conversation of succession, and I thought um, an angle on this that we could take. Um, and for those of you who have listened to our our first discussion around this. I wanted to focus in on the conversation or the the whole concept of building trust. Mm. And I think so often in farming families, um, we grow up as children under adults and um, brothers and sisters. And um, over time, these complex relationships form, Mm. um, which means when we get to a conversation as significant and serious as succession, that that sometimes a lot of that can come back up and, and sometimes there's a lot of things that um, mean that trust isn't necessarily as strong as perhaps it could be and therefore respect isn't necessarily as strong as it could be as we lead into some of these um, really significant family conversations. Um, what Can we just explore the whole concept of trust as you see it when you're facilitating succession meetings and what can families do to nurture that um, and to build that as part of moving into some really important succession conversations? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting question and, and I find that with a lot of the um, conversations I have with families, sometimes trust broke, has broken down a long time ago, Jeremy, you know, and, I, and what I mean by that is, Trust, you are, you know, sort of ask you, how do you build trust? Well, building trust is is around probably keeping promises. You know, do if you do something, if you promise something, do something. Um, and and I think it's a it's sometimes and the trust is broken then in families when you have a string of broken promises, and it, and it could be as as a, a promise is can be as, as minor as we think some of these promises are and as minor as a lot of families think they are, they add up. Mm. And then that, that, and you know, I always say um, trust is built, you know, up by the stairs and down by the elevator and, and we need to build trust by going up the stairs and it is literally a long winding process and it's, it's waking up every day with a view that you, you, you do what you say you're going to do yeah. and, and you treat the family with consistency and, and, and in a set of values that is important. And I've often said, 
to some families that if you find yourself repeating yourself all the time, that's probably a good thing. It means you're consistent. If you're you know if you're talking to your kids about the same stuff over and over and over again, I find that that's, uh, that's a great sign. I know that parents find it frustrating because you feel like you're not getting through, but I think it's a sign of consistency and, and a sign that you are doing what you say you're going to do all the time. And, and you know, so trust, um, I, I talk also trust is built by being vulnerable and being vulnerable is hard. It's, it's hard for anybody. Um, and being vulnerable is about, um, you know, perhaps just letting go of some of those um, emotions that we have or some of those experiences that we have that are very difficult to let go. But by being vulnerable within your own family group creates trust because you're trusting them with your emotions, you're trusting them with your stories, and you're trusting them that they won't turn around and, and use them against you. And so I think that that those these trust is it's never a um, a thing you can fix overnight. But the last point on that is that I think you've got to go in with an intent to build trust, Jeremy. You know, I think trust the fairies don't come down and sprinkle dust and make trust happen. You actually actively have to try and build it with people in your family, and that includes taking them out for dinner, having time. To, to build it and have discussions and grow to, to have a relationship um, and learn to, uh, to, to grow together um, because I think a lot of us take our families for granted and that doesn't happen. Such a good point. So if you arrive to a family, Tony, and you get a sense that there is a level of disrespect or a lack of trust present as you move into succession conversations, is there anything there that that you do um, that can help people reflect on that and move forward a bit more positively? Um, or is there anything that you would suggest that that family go away and work on? Yeah, it's a good what, question. What, what practically, how do you help people in this? Yeah, space? look, uh, sometimes um, it's a really good question. Sometimes um, what you do is you actually stop the process. So what I can do is stop. <laughs> And say, because people are having conversations about things that are never going to succeed or evolve until they fix some of the underlying trust issues in the first place. And so, you know, I, I know I wouldn't be in business regard, and anyone wouldn't be in business with people you don't trust or people you have disconnected relationships with. And families shouldn't assume just because they have the same last name that they're going to trust each other. That is an assumption. Mm. And therefore, what we do is we stop the process. Let's not talk about numbers and dates and finances and everything because the, the number one thing we need to fix here is each other, is, is how we work together. And, um, and therefore, and, and that's something that, you know, I, I think there are more experienced people out in the world other than me in terms of family mediators or counsellors or people that can spend some time getting to the bottom of some of the emotional stuff they need families need to commit to and work on and then maybe once they've resolved those issues and say hey you know what we're on a much better platform now emotionally and relationship wise we're now ready to really have these broader conversations and um um but what what we're families they i guess the lesson out of that is that they don't stop they think that just through plowing through succession planning is going to solve the relationship issues the short mm -hmm. answer to that is they normally make them worse so you've, you've spoken about the fact that, that succession isn't a moment in time, but it's an ongoing thing and it's part of good governance as we touched on mm. in detail. Um, if you arrive to a situation where there just isn't a really strong basis of trust and respect on which to start succession, I'm predicting that quite a few of our listeners are feeling um, that that's very real for them. Yeah. Um, would you suggest that they focus there in the first instance and just let go of and relax a little bit around the whole construct of moving into some succession conversation? 100%. Um, 100%. Because otherwise you're just going to, you're doing, I would argue that it's doomed for failure anyway, Jeremy. So I think, um, you know, looking after getting the relationships right, getting the, um, getting the people right, getting everyone in the right headspace and emotional state to be able to, work together is, is is fundamentally critical to having a successful succession plan. You're just not going to have it without it. I think about elite sporting teams and they come together and they do a whole lot of team building activities at the start of the season before they launch into their season. It's kind of a, a Same simple thing. thing. We need to get our get our family families off the farm and doing some things that 
that bring them together around team and around constructs, around respect and trust. Um, yeah, that, that's a really important conversation, I think. It's nice to hear that, that timing is everything, guys. And if we, if we need to get that right first before we can move into some more formal and professional conversation, then that's just, um, that's just where you're at. So just explore that um, with your families. And I'd just say, Jeremy, just for everyone listening, that it's also don't think it's just you. <laughs> a lot of families walking, oh, we just think we're the only family in the world that have these problems. Look, uh, there are, it, it's everywhere. Don't, it, it is okay to admit that you're having these problems. It's okay to go and get help around these things. It's okay to talk about them because you'll be surprised about how many people and families, both in farming and outside of farming, are having these issues. And it is okay. That's the thing. You're just at where you're at. And I think a lot of people spend a lot of time making either themselves wrong or making people closely around them wrong for where we're at. I think it's really important just to accept where we're at, be okay with where we're at. No, we're not alone in this, but but then look to, well, how can we move forward from where we are? Spot on. So just on your comments there, Tony, I completely agree that, now, integrity is at the essence of everything. And if you reflect on how you've been arriving to your family and, and we haven't been keeping agreements, mm. breaking small agreements, as I understand, is absolutely the thing that undermines trust with anyone long-term. And so yeah. often there's a need to actually arrive and acknowledge that and say, hey, guys, on these three or four occasions recently, I've said I was going to do A, I've done B, and to your point, being vulnerable, um, I want to apologise because mm, I completely yeah. get that that's not um, the way in which we need to constructively work together. So I think that um, focusing on how you've been playing and checking in on have I been keeping my commitments absolutely is um, something to self-reflect on well before we get into these sorts of more complex conversations. Yeah, I mean, it's the little things as well, Jeremy, even in families with kids. It's the, oh, well, yeah, sorry, son, if you go to football training tonight, I'll get your hot dog after the game or, and then you don't. Mm. And you say, or they tell you something in private and you go and tell somebody else and you break a promise around confidentiality. You know, these some of these little things can seem really insignificant at the time, but I'm, I guess I've learned the hard way, mm. <laughs> personally and professionally, that these things all matter. Such an important point. I know right now that there's two or three commitments that I've made to individuals, my young children. One of them was putting up a zip line. Um, <laughs> that I promised them a while ago that I'm away to do, but it's just it's, it's those little things that add up and yeah. it's the little things that can keep us from really having powerful and constructive conversation. Because I guarantee you, Jeremy, they'll remember. Oh, they don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be 40 you'll be like 40 years down the track and they'll bring it up you're dead you're coming back to that zip line you know I'm this afternoon Tony I'm out to <laughs> uh, and excuses don't cut it I've been talking no. to find a longer bit of cable so we can make it 90 feet, 30 feet but that doesn't that doesn't run either um Timing's everything. I think you're exactly right. It's really nice to encourage people just to relax. A lot of people are focusing on succession mm. and maybe that's not where the focus should be. Maybe the focus should be on how can I bring my family together and how can we look at how we can build trust and respect as a family yeah. well before we move into anything else. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and look, you'll never get that perfect, Jeremy. So I think that there's also um, a sign of when do we know we're there. Mm-hmm. I think that you'll know, um, it's pr- probably like, I guess the saying there is you'll know when you, you'll know when you, you'll know when you see it sort of attitude, but, um, but it'll never be perfect. And it, and then also once you've worked on it, and this is also another lesson is you've got to keep working on it. Once you get there, you've only done half the battle. You've got to stay there. And, and so working on those relationships on a daily basis just becomes part of your, you know, you talk about good governance or good, good family. That's what they do all the time. All the time. And, 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 and it never stops. I had a mentor out of America, um, Tony years ago, and he would always finish almost every email that he sent to me with just acknowledging something that he appreciates. Mm. And I look at the American um, culture and it seems very appreciative and very affirming. And I actually look at the Australian culture and I feel like 
it's not that we're self-defeating, but there is not a lot of praise, appreciation, recognition, gratitude, voice within business generally. But I think about farming families, often we're not great at saying, hey, mate, the way you did that, I just want to say thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, The vulnerability piece is one thing about talking about why or how I'm not feeling um, appreciated, whatever it is. But it's also about, as a leader, I think, actually often acknowledging, appreciating and showing gratitude to other family members for the efforts that they are putting in. Hmm. Do you have a comment around appreciation and acknowledgement as part of that building trust piece? Yeah, I think it's um, probably the the word that I would use, Jeremy, is gratefulness. And I think it's just about being grateful. Um, and we we have a saying even around here that everyone here, you know, works here is, is a volunteer. They can go and work anywhere else, but they choose to work here. And I think in a lot of farming families, there's an assumption that, again, that people are working for them and it's sort of expected and it's assumed and their efforts are expected and assumed. And 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 there is a that, that level of, um, I'll call it ungratefulness, yeah. <laughs> creeps into relationships. Yeah. And, and therefore, and you know, and I'm sure that you've been on the other side of it as I have, is people that make you that are ungrateful or make you feel like you're taken for granted, mm, you, you start to question why you're doing it and you start to question what you're doing it for and and those things creep into behaviours then and then they creep into emotions and they, they just slowly escalate. So being grateful um, for the small things on a daily basis is is part of should be part of people's routines should be part of their DNA and it should be part of just how they um, how they improve their relationships with people. It's, it seems to me on this Tony that it used to be that you'd pay someone a wage and then expect the world from them and they were basically a tool for you to use for your advantage. That's Correct. almost a hangover from the manufacturing or the the industrial age perhaps, but. On today, it's totally different, and I have a very different view from that in employment. That people are giving up eight, mm. ten hours a day to work for me. I should be completely grateful that I'm actually um, having them do that for for thirty or forty dollars an hour. Um, mm. I think there is a mindset shift in how we arrive to our family and our and our employers. Um, and have a, a, a leadership mindset of gratitude mm. rather than um, the other, which I think might be that hangover from the yesteryear. Is that a fair comment? Absolutely. And and just because it was done a certain way in the past doesn't mean it's got to be done that way in the future. So mm. um, change creates change. So, you know, make sure that I think definitely people have to concentrate on it more. Just for what it's worth, we had a planning day at Farm Owners Academy, two days together with our team. Mm-hmm. And one of the key things we did was a two-hour trust exercise mm. where we went round the room, Tony, and the first thing was is to give each individual, we're on a level playing field, there's mm. no hierarchy. Mm. Everyone got the chance to give everyone some really positive feedback around their strengths um, and the things that they bring to the team that really add value. Yep. And then we went around again and everyone got to give everyone else the one, two or three pieces of advice that was really going to help that person improve and move forward. Yep. And you know, as the CEO, I got some feedback from this team that I had never got before. Mm. A bit like my own golf swing, I can't see my own swing. It was mm. just exceptional. And so, you know, I guess what I'm saying is... Um, to the farming families out there, there are trust exercises that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, Google them, reach mm-hmm. out. We can share ours with you mm-hmm. that can actually um, help you build on this and strengthen this muscle within your family and across your team. Agreed. Perfect. Thank you, Tony. Um, so where to go next? <laughs> <laughs> What a great conversation. So, oh, and while I'm on that, just, just on that topic, I was just thinking about it, is that you, you said before things you haven't been told before. We use the word blind spots. Everyone's got blind spots. Mm. And, you know, no matter how old you are or how young you are, and we, just, and we don't like the fact that we've got blind spots, but we've got them. And having people around you that's happy to call you out on your blind spots or happy to – they're really valuable. They're not 
they're not you shouldn't see them as negatives you should you should want them in your life you should go and hug them and thank them for helping you out point out your blind spots and so you can improve and get better um and and a lot of people shun them that's the problem yeah and it's worth reflecting on how good are you at receiving feedback mm. and within your family how often do you formally create a space where feedback can be provided? And, I mean, if you think about 100 farming families, Tony, how many do you think would have really open and constructive dialogue around, you know, the father, the son, the daughter-in-law, the mother-in-law, um, yeah. really open dialogue around this? Yeah, I think the good families are probably an eight or a nine, and then I, but I see a bunch around the fives out of ten. It's, uh, it's, it's tough. and. Um, because they don't they, they don't necessarily grow up in an environment where they they practice this stuff or they work on it or they've got a framework for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's certainly for me not the culture that I grew up in. So mm. these are all learned skills that I've had to pick up over my years, I guess, in in business and in professional settings. Um, mm. So important though, if we are to have alignment across um, farming families. So Tony. Do you believe then that, that these sorts of things can be achieved without a facilitator or do you advocate um, getting it? I, I think about the Australian rugby team. If they want to shift the culture, they bring in someone from yeah. outside. Yeah. Um, for me, it does speak to the importance of, of perhaps having someone as a third party um, facilitating this so that all the participants just get to be participants and mm-hmm. and and you know, be able to, to share their experience through the process. Yeah, I think good. I think facilitators potentially can kickstart it off, Jeremy, and I think they're really good at breaking the ice, um, dealing with emotion in the room, um, dealing with the elephants in the room, um, and, you know, they're really good. But once you've got to be prepared to take the training wheels off at some point, and, and I think good facilitators will give you the tools and the, and the, the, the roadmap, but then eventually you have to do it on your own. And and you do have to get on with it and, and and believe in your own family unit that you can you can do this um, without a facilitator. And so I think it's a good starting point. But I would always do it. Suggest every family that it, it, you're doing this with a view that you're going to build a, a framework for this that you're going to be able to, to to ride the bike on your own. Right. And coming back to that whole construct of governance, I think once you've got it going and you've you've made a start. And if, if your method for communication as a business, like most professional firms and most professional businesses that are, are really cracking on and driving good culture and good alignment, a two-day planning day once a year, quarterly planning meetings, monthly meetings, weekly meetings, if that structure is in play and these sorts of things are on the agenda, mm. that's how you get to take the training wheels off when there's a system that supports it, right? Correct, and then, and you also have buy into that system. That that's really so. Everyone's in. I'll call it good habits by then, so that I know the meetings you have to t- attend. <laughs> you know, you've got to. Um, you got to. There's action items kept. There's minutes kept. Good process, and then also good behaviours that go around that system. Uh, and you're held accountable if you don't. You're not doing the right thing. You know, yep. you're not turning up to meetings. That's all part and part of part and parcel of that process. What kills family relationships? Just while we're on this, mm. what are some of the things that, that damage and keep us from achieving what we're talking about? Um, I, I guess my view is that probably what kills them is um, firstly that the thing that can really get in the way, and I, I, I go on about this a lot, is what we call three-way conversations where people um, don't talk direct to one another so, Jeremy, I'm, if I've got to give you feedback about something you and I should talk about, instead of going directly to you, I go via Greg or <laughs> Westy or someone and say, oh, by the way, and, and then they then get sent into battle and then you create this three-way loop and that absolutely kills trust. It kills um, and, and breaks a lot of uh, things down in terms of a family relationship and um and and I, but the amount of times I see that on a daily basis, Jeremy, is unbelievable. Um, and I think to, I think if everyone was reflecting on how many times a day they have three way conversations, I would argue that probably a lot of your listeners will say, "There's this is going on on an hourly basis." 
there is so much waste in this, I think. If those cultures that I've been lucky enough to be part of where it isn't in play, yeah. there is so much less um, noise and so much more focus. Um, for me, the outtake from that side talking or that three-way um, communication, it's just gossip, whinging, um, side talking. None of that is necessarily positive. Productive. We probably yeah. find ourselves, if we're in the habit of that, um, that being a significant part of our conversation with our significant other, um, what impact can that have? on a family farm well i guess that, that this, this is this should be the this should be i call it the canary in the coal mine jeremy that if you can't if we can't directly have a conversation together is that, that this goes back to what we talked about in the first part of this is that you need to go back to point one and say build trust mm. and and it means that we don't trust each other it should be the it's that's it's really the, the 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 telling sign that we don't have a strong enough relationship to be able to sit and have a cup of coffee and talk about the things in a non-personal, non-threatening way that can help make the whole entity better, and and ultimately it results in waste time, you know, wasted energy, wasted resources, and a lot of heartache, um, and. And people will also then come back to you. They they'll mirror your behaviour, and other people then will think it's okay to have three way conversations. <laughs> so if you're seen gossiping in your business, Jeremy, with someone else, you're, I'm sure there's five other people, employees, that are watching you do that and go, oh, okay, well this is how it is around here, and they'll go and do the same thing. So it'll it'll just fester. It'll it'll grow like a, a cancer. And I wonder what he's saying about me when I'm not in the room. 100%. Yeah, expect the same thing back. Yeah. And so this starts at the top. So if you are in a leadership role, um, I like that frame that only have conversations with people, straight conversations with people with whom I have the problem. Yeah. So don't go and defer and find someone else to have a whinge or a moan or a gossip mm. about is, is be courageous enough mm. um, to have straight talk and have the straight conversation just with the person. Um, if we can remove all of that, it just takes so much noise out of team dynamic. And if you can't have that conversation, ask yourself why. Mm. Can you speak further on that? Oh, well, why? I'll boil down to what's the roadblock? What, what is it about me? What is it about our relationship? That And then talk about that. <laughs> so that that's what's getting in the way of having these good conversations is there's probably some other thing or some other range of things that are getting in the way. That's what I'd be talking about. Mm. It really does require each individual to be very open mm. rather than closed. And I think a lot of people would say, oh, this is soft and fluffy. Mm. Um, if you're saying that, then maybe it is that you're a little closed um, and there's something keeping you from willing to go there and respect and be vulnerable enough with other members of your team and family um, in order to meet them somewhere in the middle and, and find a new way forward. Yeah, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So if we think about the different parties in and around a succession and, and in, in the spirit of building respect and trust, I wouldn't mind just standing, Tony, if we could, in each of the various shoes mm. and, and I'd love for you to share if you could some things that you've seen in your travels that those individuals have done to contribute positively. So if we think about the father, mm -hmm. the mother, the son or daughter on the farm, the, the son or daughter off the farm, I'd like to come to the daughter-in-law or the son-in-law. I'm an outlaw as well, Tony. Yeah, so yeah, you and no, I, well done. What, what can we do arriving into a, fam a farming family as outlaws that that can help contribute. Um, could we just just sort of work around each of those and just just um, yeah, just see what what you know if we were in that position, what could we do? Yeah, I think that I mean I might touch on being probably my own uh, from my point of view, being an in-law. Is it if I start with them first? Is it, it you know probably a saying that I've used Jeremy in the past is understand before being understood. Mm. And I think that the most valuable thing I see with um, people coming into a family arrangement is be very curious, ask a lot of questions, 
don't make any assumptions go and go and see what's going on and why for a long period of time and then once you've clearly got engagement around and, and none of it you don't necessarily have to agree with it or it doesn't really matter whether you agree with it or not but understand the situation before you think you need to change the situation mm, yeah. and and i think that that's where a lot of people come in and want to be understood from their say well this is my perspective rather than understanding everyone else's perspective first and so i think that that clearly um then comes across if you come in with in the reverse way being trying to be understood before understanding is that people see you as bossy or opinionated or um, not not getting it or this is not what we do around here comments I hear you know this is you, you really have to go in um, you know with a sense of openness and, and as I said um, and if you want good answers ask good questions there's nothing worse I think people ask the dumbest questions and they get the dumbest answers is it and I say that nicely but if you really want good answers keep probing with good questions and uh, and you'll get better answers um, so you know I think that the in-laws um, you know need to and learn what the values are you know the, your values my values in my past aren't necessarily what the values are that I'm, I'm marrying into or the, the values that but who's to say that those values on the farm that you're walking into, they, they might have worked for 50 or 100 years. It doesn't make them, just because I don't necessarily haven't lived with them, doesn't make them wrong or right. If it works for that family, great. Let's talk about it and let's ha- work out how I can be a part of that. Um, and, um, you know, so I think that that's probably, I would say, from their point of view. From a from an off-farm daughter or son, uh, you know, I call it off-farm sibling is probably the easiest way of putting that. Um, again, I think it's about... Um, engagement is probably the right word i talk about those having emotional um, ownership over the farming entity um but i would argue that you need to it's 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 really important they maintain a level of engagement with their parents and also their on-farm sibling um so that you don't end up with a vacuum of knowledge i suppose is probably the right way i think that sometimes there, there becomes a disconnect between the on-farm and off-farm children and it grows that it, it can drive a wedge between families and and I, and I think that sometimes just understanding what goes on on farm on a daily or weekly or monthly basis can really help um, prevent that wedge being driven between some on-farm and off-farm siblings um, and I, you know, how you manage that communication and that knowledge is is obviously up to each individual family. But I think it's their lack of knowledge sometimes creates assumptions. Yep. And it creates people just making stuff up that is really like jumping at shadow stuff, and and therefore I, I think and that creates problems. Um, so I think that the the off um, siblings need to be, um, you know, constantly working on the relationship still and the information flow. Um, Such great insights there um, on both of those fronts about being steady and measured and respectful and asking really thoughtful questions as an in-law or an outlaw and then as the off-farm sibling, make sure that you are keeping interest and always yeah. staying interested and having, um, you know, that, that perhaps arm's length, um, passionate involvement, um, that's I think that's really significant advice. They're different um, ways of leaning into this situation, but but really um, really nice to hear those framed that way. Um, what about the mum and the dad, the older generation? Yeah, I think um, I, I, I always it, it's interesting. I found mum and dad a little bit in terms of what generation we're dealing with a little bit different. To be honest, I think that no. the generation that went before the baby boomers, the war generation, um, were so um, concerned about and and they were really all about um, survival. Yeah. They were all about just passing on an asset that was of some use and, you know, and, and literally a lot of that generation just retired on an age pension and gave the farm to sibling number one and, and thought, and you know what? And they did a bloody good job. Mm. And, and I find that that was their sole focus. Um, I think the next generation, the baby boomers, have been a bit more, um, I'll call it about saying, hey, we've worked really hard. We want to have a really good, we still want to have a pretty good retirement here. We're not living on the age pension and, um, you know, we want to live in a nice house and, 
and we want to travel and we want to do other things. And I think that they've been a bit... It's okay again, right? I mean, they've... Correct, 100%. It's turned that right for 40 years of... <laughs> yeah. And looking at how to provide as well as they can for their children. So that, Yeah, that and they're not making any excuses for it and, they, and they're not making any... Um, you know that that's not being questioned at all, and and I I think that that it's just probably generationally they're just slightly different. I'll yeah. call them. So, and could you just speak to those too? If I'm, you know, give me some feedback. If I'm an eighty year old and I've still got that hangover from the depression, and, and yeah. I have that mindset, what advice would you give me on how to turn up versus a baby burner? Yeah, I, I think that. I think that the bottom line is that you've got different generations have different risk profiles. Jeremy is probably the advice I would give and just understanding walking a mile in somebody's shoes and understanding what they went through. Um, Cause you know, I, I use this history leaves clues, history in people's past and history in their, what they grew up with, what they experienced, it leaves clues on their future behavior. Um, and you know, I've used the saying before past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior is that this is the, the, the trouble that I've got is that some, I'll call it patriarchs and matriarchs, move into what I call, they de- de-risk or they move into risk-averse mode. And you've got the next generation coming through that are, are looking to grow, they're looking to expand, they're looking to to get on with things over because the, they have a different time horizon or a different risk profile. It yep. can lead to significant conflict at a strategy level. And trying to just being open-minded about the different risk profiles of the different generations in terms of how this moves forward is crucial. It doesn't make them right. doesn't make them wrong. It's just the awareness that people are coming at it from a different point of view is really important. And how do we work through these issues together? So that bullish 28-year-old who's come home and has a really high appetite for risk hmm. and wants to have a red-hot crack and wants to do that yesterday um, – and has the older generation, perhaps to your point, in a more conservative mindset, um, what advice would you have for that younger generation who's wanting to trailblaze and risks and have a red-hot crack? Have you got, got some sort of comment? Oh, understand risk management. Understand how to do it in a framework that you both agree on. Understand how you do it without blowing up mum and dad's retirement. So how do you get what what you want and how do we do it in a framework where mum and dad get what they want? Mm. Asking, I keep asking better questions about um, acknowledging that there are different points of view um, because quite often the older generation are absolutely scared that the next generation are just going to blow it up mm. and they're going to make bad decisions, rightly or wrongly, and their, their, their retirement is going to be affected. Yeah. And there's always every farming community goes, oh, well, I heard what happened to Gary down the road and he's now on the pension because they didn't do the succession plan properly and, you know, someone did something crazy with the money. Um, every community's got one of those stories. Yeah, absolutely. And so on there's two parts to this and perhaps in, in starting to wrap up this conversation, Tony, I love that construct that communication is the response I get. That if I don't like the way that things are playing out in terms of relationships, that I can lay blame and, and point the finger at people around me. But ultimately, if I if I want to be responsible for the communication that is playing out for me, that then communication is the response I get. Hmm. And so for me, one of those great questions that perhaps we should be asking if I'm the son coming home or the daughter coming home and I'm I'm looking for things to move around growth or around succession is how can I be more trustworthy? Um, Correct. So that if, if my parents aren't engaged in some of the decisions or if there is fear coming up for them or, um, you know, things aren't quite working, I, I kind of would challenge the on-farm um, family, husband and wife, mm. to stop and really reflect on what can we do mm. so that we can be more trustworthy so that the older generation and the off-farm brother or sister or whatever it is um, can be more comfortable with the direction that we're wanting to take them from. Yeah, and, and I, I 100% agree with you, Jeremy, because and ultimately some... And, and if you some uh, next geners 
they do go through that process where they assume they have trust or even and they get exhausted by well how much how much longer do i have to keep proving myself mm. you know how much more do i need to do of this and before you trust me dad or mum, you know well do you know what i can't, i go back to what i said earlier it goes on forever <laughs> it, it and, and look and you can't just assume just because you feel trustworthy that everyone's truth is through their own lens and so if mum and dad's truth and they are feeling still a bit unsure or a bit unwary, that's their lens. Mm. That doesn't make them wrong. But then the question should be, what, you're right, what more should I do? What else can I do? How else can I do this to help um, dispel some of your, your trust issues or thoughts? Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I think to, to your point, it, it just comes back again and again to being respectful, empathetic, and asking really thoughtful questions so that you can understand before trying to be understood. I think mm. you framed that really eloquently for all members of a succession conversation. And I think, you know, that's really sound advice no matter where you sit in this puzzle. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Mm. Tony, um, one, as we, as we sort of start to wrap up, this conversation has has really focused around building trust, building respect, and then ways that individuals around the succession table can play a role in improving that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just a reminder that if, if it's not there at the level that it needs to be, then maybe focus on trust first and relax on the whole conversation around succession. Mm-hmm. I think there's some really significant um, pieces of advice and guidance there for for those listening, have you got any other reflections or comments um, that could support a family that that wants to get underway um, in this area? In this area, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that things that we've done that have worked, Jeremy, have been things even where we sit down and write down, um, you know, be very vulnerable about your personal goals. You know what does Jer- you know what does Jeremy want from his life? What is, what is you know what does everybody want in a personal sense? Not just from what the business wants to do, but what is the personal goals? And I think that that can be that can create a little bit of vulnerability uh, around the table, which is always nice. I think that the other thing that we do is um, we talk about what are productive and unproductive behaviours around the table. Mm. So there are quite often a nice framework to say, hey, what are all the things that we're doing that really work? and list them up on the whiteboard and what are all the unproductive things that we all do in a behavioural sense that just don't work for us all? And and quite often, you know, things will come out like, oh, well, you always ignore such and such or you swear a lot or, <laughs> you know, you never turn up for meetings or, you know, there'll be unproductive behaviours that we always have in fam- farming families that you go, you know what, let's call it a spade a spade and they're things that don't work for us. And and it's not to ignore that, you know, and these can be relationship-building questions and 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 tabling them in a, in a good environment that um is really important that people then learn to 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 work on them um but first and foremost though going back to right we talked about at the start unless you unless everyone in a farming family though agree on a set of values which i think you do with your vto mm-hmm. if you don't agree on your north star about how you're i don't like rules i like i think rules are useless i think values and dictate behaviours and then just keeping each other accountable to those values is crucial um, and, and agreeing on those values. And that becomes, as I said, the the North Star that you all operate around. And if you fall out of line with those values, having the, the being courageous enough, and I think you use the right word, to call each other out on that and say, hey, you know what, you didn't do that in line with our values. And for then for the person who's receiving that feedback to go, yep, actually 100%, we agreed those are the values and now I'm not doing it and I really appreciate you pulling me up on that. That's when you get a good functioning farming yeah. family. And that's that's when the values are up on the wall and, and people can use them to point. Like if, you can, if integrity is one of your values and someone breaks a small promise, you know, they're five minutes late to a meeting, you can point to the wall and say, hey, and by pointing to the wall, what you're not doing is pointing at them. So That's you're, exactly not, you're right. upholding the values, not making it personal. So yeah. I think those core values are absolutely critical, Tony. Um, mm. And absolutely, I mean, with Farm Owners Academy, we absolutely focus on vision, common goal, core values. And at that, 
having those things then allows you to focus on the problems of the future. We can't change history. And so often, if you don't have the vision, the common goal, a set of core values and and an agreed intent for the future, then what happens by default is we spend all of our time going and um, talking about the, the problems and the issues of the yesteryear, which, I mean, that's not constructive, is it? No, so no. how do you get people focusing away from the past and focusing more on the future? Is it, is it what we've just described or is it there more than that? Yeah, look, it, it's probably, it goes to, um, it, it's, it's probably also not, not um, you sometimes have to work through the problems of the past, though. Sometimes the past doesn't go away. And, and it, but until people let go of the past, Jeremy, they're never going to get on with their future. <laughs> and so even just recognising the past, acknowledging the past and putting some of those fires out is part of the relationship building process. But then um, once you've done that, um, you know, I go. You know, time is valuable, and and if we're all going to get on the same page and get on that fast and then get on with it, um, you know, let's 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 make the next move the right one and let's get on with it in terms of moving forward step by step. Um, there's no magic wand that makes this happen. There's no science that makes this happen. There's no, um, you know, there's no nothing I can say that will make it happen. The only people that I keep saying this that can make this happen are the people that are listening, mm. and and they need to wake up every day with that intent to change things, and yeah. and if they don't if they don't have the intent to change and they don't want to change, so be it. But change creates change, and if you want a different outcome, you've got to change something, because <laughs> if you keep doing what you've always been doing, Jeremy, you always get what you always got. So, um, you know. Uh, I just think you just got to keep keep changing and keep moving. So, um, ladies and gents, you can see why we advocate for and really value our relationship with Tony and his team. Um, he's very passionate, clearly, about this. So, if some support externally to help you navigate these issues and get underway with succession is of interest to you, just jump on the website, catapultwealth.com.au. Tony, is that correct? That's, that's correct, yep. Feel free. Um, there's, um, there's an email address on there they can contact me on. Yeah, absolutely. So get in touch with Tony. And just to finish, this is just professional conduct. It is just good governance. So to bring us back out of the trenches, and there's a lot of emotion that is no doubt coming up for a lot of people around, I guess, this quite heavy conversation. In every business that succeeds, these issues are real. And this yes. is just good planning, open communication, good governance structures. So you build trust and create high-performing cultures and teams mm. just by applying what is good business conduct um, across the board. And so please, again, to Tony's point and just in finishing, you are not alone. You are not unique. Um, just just have a think about how you can get out of the trenches and really sort of start to apply the principles of good business back into your farming family. Agreed. Tony, wonderful to speak with you again. Thanks so much for your time. All Thank the best. Um, and, yes, yeah, stay well. Thank you very much. To our listeners, all the best and look forward to checking in with you again in a week or two's time. Take care. Thank you and bye for now.